Ephesians when we go what, what an amazing time of praising lifting up Jesus amen wow wow it's so great to just have our eyes the eyes of our hearts lifted onto him isn't it just saying oh yeah of course of course you're the one and um, hopefully the Ephesians series is doing that helping to do that as well where this is an extraordinary piece of literature um, some would say it's Paul's uh, the Apostle Paul who wrote a lot of the books of the New Testament many people would say that this, this, this bit of writing this letter to the Ephesians is perhaps the most extraordinary thing he ever wrote in terms of richness theological richness and glories one thing we haven't said at this point but I'll say it today is that he wrote this from prison which is an amazing thing if you think about it I guess prison and prison by its nature then would have been different from prison today it would have been a lot worse a lot more basic and um, uh, awful and so here's this man who is in utter restriction who knows how low the roof would have been who knows how tight uh, the walls would have been in it's just complete restriction and, and then there's this vision of the book of Ephesians gives us perhaps the biggest vision possible of Jesus in the whole of the New Testament. Now what? That says something. That says something. You know, you can be living in a castle or you can be on a, or have your own cruise liner or you can have, you can have all, the, all the physical freedom in the world and yet still be in prison. Or you can be like Paul in prison and yet somehow transported into the expanse of heavenly glory this is extraordinary it's really, he was a man just like us okay. he's made of the same flesh as us he would have battled the same things that we do we mustn't elevate him in an unhelpful way he's just a man in, in, in this kind of confinement he is transported to such heights depths, widths, breadths, all the dimensions you can imagine of the glories of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit can do. If we, if we allow him, that's what the Holy Spirit can do. And, and, and it may not be as dramatic for us in, in certain ways. It may not be that we're ever in prison in that sense. But there, there are times where you just feel, oh, it's closing in. You know, things are closing in. Pressure, tribulation. You just feel... Let's believe the Holy Spirit for moments of breadth and height and depth and expanse somehow internally in those times. There's something about the way God has put us together whereby we can be somehow a thousand times bigger on the inside than we are on the outside. It's a work of God, it's a spirit thing. And I just think as we, as we read this, we can, we can appreciate that. So we're going to read um, verses 15 to 23. I read these verses last week. We're going to read these verses again. Um, that red should be brighter. Sorry. The whole idea of the bottom half is that it stands out. It's not really worked, is it? It's the opposite, really. Um, so apologies. That's, that's going to be the same on my next slide, too, just so you know. Um, so take notice of the bit that you really can't see that well, because that's the bit we're focusing on today. So here we go. So he's just been speaking about all the, all, the, all the wonders that God has blessed us in, in the heavenly places in Jesus. And he says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, 
May he give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all Lord we thank you for these remarkable words I want to ask and pray that as we delve into them that you would do an expansive work inside of us. That you would enable us, Lord, to get it. That you enable us to see all all that you have made true of us in Christ. Open the eyes of our hearts, please, by your Spirit. Illuminate us freshly, Lord. Be merciful to us. We come to you on the grounds of mercy and grace. We've got no other grounds before which we can stand before you. We stand before you on the grounds of mercy and grace. That in Christ you have determined to be merciful to us and gracious to us. We don't deserve a thing, O Lord. We don't deserve a good thing. But we thank you that in Christ you promise us bounty. And we pray in the name of Jesus, therefore, Father, that you would freshly into our hearts show us this bounty, that we would know it, we would feel it, we would see it, we would grasp it, we would be changed by it. For your glory, Lord, we know that this is what will glorify you. Amen. So what is Paul doing? Well, in this passage, Paul is really... Matt, you're a genius. Thank you. Um, in this passage, he's, he's really letting them know what he's praying for them. And he's praying for them three things. He's praying for them, number one, that, they, that as the Holy Spirit um, is, is, is granted to them, they would know the hope to which they're called. They would know that in Christ there's a bright future. Remember last week we looked at that. Then that they would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Really long phrase, but basically they would be able to grasp by the Holy Spirit that because they are in Christ, they have become become the inheritance of God that God has promised himself us the church for his future we are, we, are, we are what God has promised to himself that we mean that much to him that's such a counterintuitive thing to, to get we need the eyes of our heart to be enlightened to really get it, it's really true it's an amazing miracle and then number three that we would understand what is the surpassing or the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe and at this point he, he, he takes off in his thought okay? so he, he says this phrase that you would know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe and then he's carried off at that point okay? because he's like and he, he, he goes into it and we're going to unpack this um, today this is very important when you, when you consider how many people that call themselves believers doubt the power of God this is important that by the work of the spirit somehow that we would leave here today increasingly convinced that God's power is mightily uh, immeasurably aimed towards us that's big when you consider how, how, how quickly we sometimes crumble when the pressure comes or how quickly we go elsewhere 
when things get a little bit too close for comfort. Paul says, I'm praying that you would know the power of God. I'm praying that you would know that his power is towards you and is immeasurably great. Now this word immeasurable means that you can't measure it. I'm clever like that. I know I understood that. It was only a bit of time with Danny, he helped me with the Greek. And this, you can't measure it. Right, so you think, well, how, what, well how, how, then can we, how then can we begin to really deal with it? How can we begin to really have our minds renewed by what this means if we can't measure it? Well, he gives us another phrase that helps us. I'll try to illustrate with this chair. He uses this phrase where he says, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to. That's a very important phrase. According to means in proportion to. So God's work power is at work in us and it's immeasurable, you can't measure it, but it's in accordance with something. It's in proportion to something else that God has done. And he says, the power that is at work towards you is in proportion to the power that God exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead and, and seated him in the heavenly places, far above every rule, dominion and authority. That, so he's saying there's, there's something else that God did and the power that's at work in you is in proportion to that. It's a bit like if I, for example, um, if, I, if you saw me get the chair and do this, um, for those of you that are listening online, I'm about to lift up the chair and make a real big deal of it. Okay, so if I, if I did that you all saw me do that that was an act that I did and if I then said to you <laughs> it's very impressive if I then said to you um, in accordance with the power that you just saw exerted in my lifting of the chair I can do bench presses in accordance with that I can do bench presses. In, in proportion to the power you witnessed, I can do bench presses. You would understand what my bench presses would look like. <laughs> yes? It would be in proportion to that. It, would be, it wouldn't be great. Okay? Because it was that. Paul is saying, in proportion to the power that God exerted in raising him from the dead and lifting him above everything, which we're going to look at in a minute, in accordance, in proportion to that, God's power is at work towards you. So it's immeasurable, but we've got something very concrete by which we can begin to think about it and think what this looks like. Now he uses this extraordinary phrase, it's, it's word piled upon word, where he says um, that, that he worked in Christ when he raised him, sorry, according to the working of his great might, that he worked, it's deliberate. He's talking about ext- extremely impressive power exerted by God. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and listen to this, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all, say all, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come now in those days there were some very developed ideas about spiritual beings, angels um, people had all kinds of categories to talk about the hierarchy and if you read the Bible you, what you will discover is, is that there are angels there are archangels there are cherubim there are seraphim there are other creatures, there, there, there are principalities, there are powers. And, and we don't know how it's worked out in detail because the Bible doesn't reveal it. You can speculate, but the Bible doesn't reveal it. What we do know is this. There was one instance where uh, a, a very powerful army was surrounding Jerusalem 
And God assured the king of Jerusalem at that time, you're not to worry. I've, seen, I've, I've heard the complacency of the king who's about to attack you and the way he's mocked me. I'm going to deal with him. God, said, God said, sends one angel that night to that king's army and in the morning 185,000 of them are dead. It's one angel. So whatever you do in terms of developing your hierarchy of angels, just know this. You are dealing with some extraordinarily powerful beings. They're so powerful and extraordinary and glorious that the Apostle John, who's not just walked closely with Jesus, who is God in the flesh, but then has been spending the last however long in the book of Revelation having visions of the glorious, exalted Jesus, sees an angel right towards the end, chapter 22 of Revelation, last chapter of the book, and falls down and worships. And the angels say, stop it, I'm just a servant along with you. Worship God. They are glorious. They are incredible. And the Bible, says, the Bible says this, that when Jesus was dead, God the Father raised him from death. Raised him from death, physically, actually, fully, completely. We've, we've seen glorious songs about, about the resurrection. Andy's fantastic song. About we are the confident because he's risen from the dead. It's not some vague little ghost thing, spirit thing that happened. No, Jesus said, give me some fish. Why did he say, give me some fish when he appeared to his disciples? He's saying, I'm really risen. It's not a spirit. I'm risen from the dead. God raised him from the dead, but they're not that. God, God calls him to ascend above every level, every degree of every power you can imagine. Whether spiritual or earthly, unseen or seen, every name, every dominion, you name it, any angel, archangel, seraphim, cherubim, creature covered in eyes. Um, whether it's a principality or a power over a nation or over a region. Jesus, the Father in his power, raised Jesus above all of those things. Every earthly government and empire, every sp- unseen power behind every seen power up he goes over and beyond the final enemy death totally blasted death out of the water to God the Father in his mighty power is exerting Christ fully to the highest place and then we hear this amazing it's am- so it's not about it's not about the hierarchy of angels it's about Jesus that's the point the point is whatever ones there are Jesus is above them he has all authority in heaven and on earth. That means in the unseen realm and the seen realm. He carries all reach, all jurisdiction. He needs permission from no one to do what he likes. He is Lord. This is what um, this means. And then there's this phrase, and placed all things, um, and put all things under his feet. That's a military term. You see, in the old days when there was a war and one king would beat another king, what would happen is literally sometimes the king would place his foot on the neck of the defeated king. It was a show, it was a symbol of complete victory. This so-called king is now completely subjugated under the new victorious king. This is what we're told here. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things. This is an extraordinary deal that we are faced here with, with Jesus. But he says this, he's given him head as head of all, over all things, to who? To the church. His body. Wow. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, if you're a thinking person, this should create a problem for you. If your brain is engaged, you should be thinking, hold on a minute. If Jesus is exalted that high, and he's the head, and I'm the body, we're the body, he's exalted that high, but I know about heads and bodies, they're joined. That's how it works. How can it be that he is exalted in that way and we're still down here on earth and yet he's ahead and we're the body? How does this work? You should be thinking that. Right, that's a very, very important question. 
And you can, you can, you can, you can think, oh, well, how does it work? You can say, well, it's just nonsense. You can dismiss it. It's nonsense. It's crazy. The thing doesn't work. Or you can just go, oh, that's nice. Yay! Which is essentially the same as doing the first thing, really. Or you can think about it. You can say, well, how does this work? Because this is extraordinary. How can we be connected in a way that head and the body are with Jesus if he's exalted that high? Well, in order to answer this, I'm going to ask one more important question, and then I'm going to answer both questions with the same answer. Stay with me. Question number one. How can we be joined to Jesus, like a head and a body, if he's up there and we're down here? Question number two. What does Paul mean? What is he actually getting at when he says God's power is towards us? Because power is a word that's used a lot in the Bible. It's used in all kinds of ways, very broad ways. What does Paul mean here? What does this passage mean? Because we've got to know, right? Because the Bible says, Jesus says, when the, when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll receive power so you can be bold witness. So this talk, the Bible talks about that. The Bible talks about power in terms of miraculous working. Working miracles. The Bible talks about power in terms of, don't be timid to use your spiritual gifts. You've been given not a spirit of timidity, but of power. It means using your gifts. What is Paul talking about here? That's the second question. What does it mean? Why, what, this immense power that is aimed towards us, what should I expect? Very important question. What should I expect that to involve? Is he talking about, I don't know, those things I've just said? What is he referring to? Well, I'm going to answer that. Both questions. How can we be joined to Jesus like a head's joined to a body? What is Paul getting at with all this talk of power? It's actually quite straightforward to answer these questions by completely ignoring that big number two on the page of your Bible. You see, you've got your Bibles open, anyone? See that big number two there, big fat number two, black ink. Can you see it? Underneath verse 23. And there's a heading that says something like, by grace through faith, scrap them. Scrap the number two, scrap the heading. They're not evil, but they're not scripture. What they tend to do is they they make you read the Bible in an unnatural way. You stop. Paul hasn't stopped. Paul didn't go, oof, cup of tea, we'll start number two. No. He's writing a letter. It's one letter. It's really important. It helps you read the Bible properly. Now just read um, the next slide, please, Matt. Which is, we're going to read just a few verses from chapter 2. Um, have you done your yellow trick? You have done that as well? Brilliant, well done. So, um, and you were dead. So, I think I should have done the first sentence in red as well. And you were dead. So remember, Jesus was dead. And you were dead. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Then he explains what that's like. We'll look at that in a couple of weeks' time. Oh, whoa. No. That's fine. Don't mind. No. And then, no, back to where it was before. <laughs> it's just the first, just the first line. Uh, I'm sorry. You see the but God in the middle. Go from but God. See, hey, right, listen. You were dead. Jesus was dead. You were dead. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love. Say love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus now it makes sense now we understand what's going on here there was a, the, mighty, the same mighty power that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and, 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 and lifted him out and raised him above all other name and authority and seated him with him in heavenly places is at work in you, which is why you have been in Christ, raised from the dead. 
spiritually speaking, and above all other things, and join to Jesus Christ seated in the heavenly places with him. That's what he's talking about. It's clear. That's what's in his mind. That's what he's thinking about. It is really important that you understand this. That's how we can be so connected to Jesus. We're there with him. That's why the head and the body works. So this power that lifted Jesus from the depths to the heights is the same for you and me. He was in the deepest, lowest place, now he's in the highest place. If you are here and you are in Christ, you have been taken from the depths to the heights. There's a mighty work of power that has happened in you, even if you can't remember becoming a Christian because you were three and a half, sat on your bed with your mum, and you had a nice little Jesus storybook, and you said, oh, I want to become a Christian, and you prayed a prayer, and you can't even remember it, and you only know it happened because your mum told you it happened. I want to tell you right now that a mighty work of God took place whereby you were raised from the dead and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Now some of you might be sitting there thinking, no, it's not like that for me. One year ago I cried out to Jesus and I've never been the same since. I talked to someone last week who said, two weeks ago I found Jesus, tears running down their face. It's the same thing though. It's wonderful. This power raised, released Jesus from death. This power released Jesus from death. If you are here as a believer, you have been released from the power of death. When a Christian dies in the Bible, what do they call it? Falling asleep. And you wake up and everything is more real than anything you've ever known before. Oh, what's that? That's the power of God that is aimed towards you. This power brought Jesus to a place of exalted victory over all other spiritual powers. Same for us. Jesus said, listen, Jesus said, you're going to tread on scorpions. You're going to tread down the powers of darkness. The the nasty, vile, spiritual, dark powers that want to suffocate your soul and want to reduce you to, to something way off what God intends you, that wants to keep you locked down in unbelief, keep you wrapped and wriggled in doubts and anxiety, gripped by fear. I tell you, you it is God's plan and purpose in Christ Jesus that those those things are crushed under your feet. It, it actually is. I'm not just being triumphalistic here, and I'm not pretending it's always easy. But I'm telling you, it's true. It's true. That's why, in the end of, towards the end of the book of Romans, Paul says, "I pray that God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet." It's a wonderful phrase. He's praying that God would crush, crush Satan, but under whose feet? Under your feet. Jesus said, "You'll tread on scorpions." It's the power of God at work in us. This same power establishes Jesus in the bosom of the Father. Same for us. At the Father's right hand, the place of favour. Same for us. It's where we are. You're in the bosom of the Father. If you're born again. (gasps) That's extraordinary. To all those who believe in his name, he gave them the authority to become children of God. Born not of the natural will, not born of the flesh, but born of God. Such powers at work in us. When you unite with Christ by faith, you are brought into his experience by the power of God. You're united with him. What he experienced, you experience. So let me conclude. God wants you and me to know his power in this way, experientially, in our lives. It's more than a fuzzy feeling. It's more than a little moment in a meeting. Praise God for every moment in a meeting. But this is 24-7. This is... This is this has changed lives. We've so I'm just I get there's something in my heart say that wants to plead with us freshly to take God seriously. 
and to expect much of him and not to just kind of settle for something that didn't quite you know it wasn't quite but oh well no because over, over time that just becomes you've just become demoralized and reduced let's expect much of God he's promised us a lot it honors him to believe him to those who believe very important phrase his power at work towards those who believe there's a truth here that we either submit to or we don't that's that's how faith works do you submit to what god says about us or do you decide i think i know better because my various experiences in life i think i've got i think i know another idea or will you believe what god says god says his power is mightily at work towards those who believe there's something about faith that's very humble faith says god i'm going to believe you i'm going to trust you i'm going to order my life in light of what you said I'm going to pray it in. And if I'm still in the same position in ten years' time, I'm going to still be doing it. Because there's something about faith that's very patient as well. The Bible says it's through faith and patience we inherit the promises. We just keep going. And as a result, we win. We win. We always win. We always win. We always win. We, I'm, not, it's not, I'm not doing Darren Brown, you know. No. We keep saying it, keep saying it. Listen, the Bible says that in Christ we overwhelmingly conquer in all these things. We always win. Why? Because he always wins. So we don't flip out and go our own way and suddenly unbelief and mistrust start doing our own thing. You don't win then, no. You keep believing, you always win. You always win. It always goes to the wire. <laughs> but you always win. Why? Because the victory belongs to the Lord. He can't lose. He cannot lose. It's great, isn't it? So I'm not trying to come across triumphalistic like it's all, it's all, you know, la di da. You know, and it's not. You know what I mean? There's time where it's, you, you're you're hanging on. Absolutely. But we win. So to end application for the lost, if you've never known what it is to be found by Jesus, He wants to pull you out of the depths and into the heights. He wants, to, he wants to raise you from spiritual death. Call out to him. Repent of your sins and trust in him. And he will do it. You watch. I can promise you on his behalf. He will do it. He will rescue you. You will be born again. You will have new life. And then we can work out together how to follow him. Which is what we do as a community. Community of disciples. So call out to him. The Bible says if you call out, he'll rescue you. Hallelujah. He's faithful. For the found. Those of you that you know you've been found by Jesus. The Bible says that Christ fills all things. But here's the thing. He fills all things, but we are the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's a bit like, um, let's try and do a kind of a, how can I put it? Uh, he's the head, which means that something about Jesus whereby he is chosen, although he is fully self-sufficient, complete in every way, he is chosen to make himself voluntarily incomplete without us. Below, you know, he said, I, I'm going to so give myself to the church that they're my body and I'm the head. That's how it's going to function. I'm going to express myself through them and through them alone. It's a bit like a marriage as well. A bride and a groom. We have a bride and a groom, a man and a woman who in and of themselves are not half. Every individual is full in and of themselves. But when a man and a woman come together in marriage, they make themselves voluntarily incomplete that they might become one. It's a decision that you make then you can work out what oneness looks like. It's not saying that single people are not complete people at all. But when you choose to marry someone, you make yourself voluntarily incomplete in order to work out, okay, how are we going to become one? Jesus has taken on that approach with us. 
So he fills all things, but we are the fullness of him who fills all in all. You are the fullness of Christ. It almost feels a bit like, no, I'm not going to say that. You can say that, I'm not going to say that. You know, that's too much. The Bible says it. We're the fullness of Christ. So what does this mean? Well, I've got some little examples here. If my family breaks down on earth, and I'm helpfully involved in the forgiving and reconciling process, being supported in it by my brothers and sisters, then the church is expressing and demonstrating that Christ has overcome the powers of hatred and division and fills the realm of family. You hear that? Very normal. It's very normal. If, if as a believer I do that alongside other believers, I am demonstrating that Jesus Christ has overcome the powers of hatred and division and fills the realm of family. If in my workplace there's a culture of gossip and corruption and I'm involved in speaking words of grace and truth and dealing with matters with a straight hand and I'm doing so alongside other believers um, either in the workplace and or in my local church who are supporting me, praying for me, standing with me, showing an interest then the church is expressing and demonstrating that Christ has overcome and is far above the names of gossip and corruption and fills the realm of work. It is a spiritual deal. It is a gospel outworking. If in my own life I find myself gripped by lust and bitterness and I go to work alongside my brothers and sisters with my running partners and in my gospel community learning to contentment in Christ that he is more than enough for me and practicing forgiveness from the heart then the church is expressing and demonstrating that Christ has overcome and is far above the dominion of lust and bitterness and fills the realm of human desire. You see, I'm just looking at things that all of us face day in, day out, Monday through to Sunday. And I'm saying, look, this is, this is into this. The reality of this speaks into our lives and what we do. If we live in a world where the injustice is rife and cycles of poverty and despair and abuse repeat themselves generation after generation, and then if I link up with my gospel community and other churches to look to bring light and life and freedom through Christ into these dark places, cat, food bank, etc., then the church is expressing and demonstrating that Christ has overcome and is far above the authority of generational sin and injustice and fills the realm of neighbourhood, home and society. You see, we're showing this is true. If, in my, if my postcode lacks any or many vibrant communities of believers or it's full of people perishing and in need of Christ, and if I start to pray and explore what it might look like to plant a church there and establish a living witness to Christ for the community and begin to gather with others to do the same, then the church is expressing and demonstrating that Christ has overcome and is far above the names of lostness and spiritual death and hopelessness and fills the realm of N1 or E9 or W2. Amen? Amen. Amen. Listen to this quote. What instrument is Christ using to fill up the earth with his eternal purposes? It is the church. That for which the universe is being filled is itself the instrument of his filling. Jesus is changing the world for the good of the church by means of the church. All of culture is our domain. All enterprises are of our interest. And all that is beautiful is ours to enjoy and cultivate. All that is here, he is head over. Therefore we have a right to be concerned for it and to bring it under the lordship of him for whom it was created and for whose glory it is designed. We are to be concerned with everything. He goes on and he says this thing. I thought that's really, really helpful. He says, the church is God's instrument for world transformation and renewal. The church is God's instrument for world transformation and renewal. Okay? So please don't think it's somewhere you go on a Sunday. <laughs> it's 
the body of Christ, of which we are members, parts of one another, as we are connected to him. God's instrument for world transformation and renewal. Some have interpreted this to mean the church should seek to amass financial, political or even military power to impose Christ's will upon the nations. More instructive is Paul's own unfolding of these truths in the remainder of this letter. His following words do not frame a political, marketing or military strategy but rather are a blueprint for the ministry of local churches that will produce mutual love and personal purity so that believers are prepared for godly service in every dimension of their lives the church is called to be the church so that by her proclamation of the gospel in word and deed her people will be prepared to advance his kingdom wherever he calls them to be salt and light in the world wow God's doing some great things I want to finish by just saying this church talk about Jesus share your story it's powerful it's powerful just end with a quick story I got home from church last Sunday and uh, as a family we were just potting around doing what we normally do on a Sunday evening, sorry last Sunday, Sunday evening, you know, ironing and snacking and whatever. I said to Davina, I, said, I just feel restless. I just feel, feel I didn't know, I didn't know what it was sometimes after church you just do, you know, didn't preach well or whatever. I said, I just feel restless. She said, what should, what, what should you do? I said, I don't know what I should do, I've got to do something. Anyway, I've been doing a little bit of photography for the last couple of years, nothing, nothing too fancy, but just messing around. And I've got a tripod for my birthday, I haven't used it yet. I said, oh, just, when you go up on the heath and get a couple of shots from Parliament Hill of the city, I said, yeah, let's do that. And uh, leave. I said, oh, come. So me and Levi, we wandered up to the top of the hill. And we got up there, it's wonderful. You know, if you've never, never been to the top of Parliament Hill, you've got to go, just magnificent. It's pitch black, all the lights are set up. Da-da. And there were three youths on a bench just near to us. And uh, as I'm setting up and trying to work out how to use this thing, um, I had this conversation on this bench with these three young people talking about life after death. And I knew straight away, divine appointment. That's why I was restless. God wanted me to speak to these guys. So I took a few shots, which were pretty unimpressive. And then I put it all away. So at that point I know what I'm there for and um, so I just went, I went over to him and said look I know it's not my conversation but I couldn't help overhearing you talking about life after death and I just wanted to let you know that you know Jesus changed my life 24 years ago and um, you know you may, you may never have met anyone who, who, who that's happened to so I just wanted you to know you know you don't have to speculate he's real and we just had this wonderful conversation for about five or ten minutes. You know, I mean, I love talking to young people. You know, they're so they, they're so curious, and but we just had a great conversation. But it's fascinating. You you realise God has been at work in their in their lives. One of them said, oh, she said, oh, I can't believe what I can't see." I said, "Okay." And then later she said, uh, "Is your church like Hillsong?" I said, "Bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's smaller. A bit smaller." And, uh, <laughs> but um, she said, "Oh, I got baptised at Hillsong." Oh, but I thought you didn't believe in what you couldn't see. And she said, yeah, maybe I did a bit. <laughs> but you just realised God's at work. I just, I just realised what a privilege to be able to talk personally about the fact that Jesus has changed your life. There's power in that. There's power in that. You can do it politely. You ought to do it polite, politely, respectfully. The Bible says that. Be respectful, be reverent, be gentle, absolutely. But you can t- talk of Jesus. And I tell you, pe- people, there's something... You talk of Jesus, it's, uh, you can get to the church, but talk of Jesus. He's the one that changes lives. Church makes sense once you get Jesus. Outside of Jesus, this is a funny little thing we've got here. But it makes sense with Jesus, doesn't it? And um, so I want to just urge us, let's keep talking of Jesus. Let's keep sharing. 
Um, and let's just remain utterly uh, submitted to the truth that God's power is at work in us in an extraordinary way. And that he wants us to know it. Amen?